At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Coming up on episode 324 of Wheel Bearings, we've got the Chevy Tahoe, the Volvo V60 Cross Country, the Mercedes-Benz AMG GLS 63, the new BMW 5 Series, Rolls-Royce Spectre, Polestar Day, StoreDot Batteries, uh, Volvo EX30, the Mille Miglia Warm-Up, and Don't Bedazzle Your Steering Wheel. All that and more coming up next. This is episode 324 of Wheel Bearings. I'm Sam Abu-Al-Samad from Guidehouse Insights. And I'm Nicole Wakeland from The Road Reflected. And, and and Robbie is um, he's I think he's actually traveling today. He's was visiting family I think in Arizona or somewhere, and so uh, he is he's not with us today. Uh, so it's just the two of us today. Uh, sadly, uh, Tanya was going to join us, but she is under the weather. Uh, yeah. So feel better, Tanya. Uh, yeah, hope, sorry to hope, miss you, Tanya. Hope you feel better before you got to. You're supposed to fly out to California on Tuesday, so yeah, because the Eliana show is this week. It is, yeah, and or whatever uh, that's worth at this point. <laughs> Poor Eliana show. <laughs> uh, well, it's like like most other, at least North American auto shows. You know, some yeah. of the some of the overseas shows seem to be making some progress and and coming back. You know, the Japan show, Japan Mobility show was good. Uh, IAA in Munich was good, so we'll we'll see what happens. Yeah, we're a little off kilter, I think, still here in the U.S. It was it was already a little bit. Going a little sideways before COVID, and I don't think it's found its footing post-COVID yet. Yeah. All right. Um, let's since you weren't here last week, um, yes. what uh, what have you been driving? Well, I had so two cars to talk about that I drove over the last couple of weeks. So the first one is a Volvo V60 Cross Country, which I think it's funny they ca- call it a Cross Country because really it's the Volvo V60 wagon. But nobody wants to say we have like a wagon in the U.S. Like, well, oh. there, there's also a V60 non cross country. It's just just a V60, right? But I feel like like it's cross country. Like, if you're not right, like lingo wise, you're like, what the heck does cross country mean? Like, it, it it means you know you jacked it up half an inch and put some some matte black plastic wheel arch extensions on there, so it looks sort of SUV ish. Sort of SUV ish. That is exactly how to describe it. Sort of SUV ish. So I actually really like Volvos and we're going to talk about another one later on. So, but I, I like the cross country. I think it does a nice job. Like what I like about Volvo is it's, they're very like, especially this one. And it's sort of an upscale luxury car, but it's not in some ways, I feel like it's not like they don't do things for the sake of flashiness. You're not going to find Chrome just to make it look fancy. You're not going to find weird colors and weird trims and things just to make it look 
like you spent money on something and it's like almost becomes garish. Like, cause some luxury cars get too much. Mm-hmm. It's like you open it up and you're like, this is too much of everything. It's that, that, I don't know. There was some famous fashion person who said, look at what you're looking at in the mirror and then take one, one accessory off. Like they over accessorize luxury cars. There's too much happening. Volvo does not. They actually take it down a notch and make it a little bit more manageable. Well, they're Swedish. Um, they're Swedish. So it's, yeah, more Swedish. So I like the, I like that. For me, I really like that. And in this car, that's exactly what they did. Um, they're standard all-wheel drive, so it's perfect for ye oldy winter weather that is coming any second now. I saw it's finally got cold here, so I feel like winter's going to happen like tomorrow. There'll be snow, which is normally how it goes in New England. Um, it has a turbocharged four-cylinder with 247 horsepower, so it goes, it moves, it's fine. Um, you get onto the highway, and it's it's surprisingly responsive. Um, and it has really good road manners. It's quiet. Like, that's the part I feel like a luxury car has to nail. It has to be quiet, especially in, you know, SUVs, it's trickier because they're giant toasters, you know, they're giant blocks. So they're hard to keep all the wind noise and the road noise and all that kind of muted. In something that is a wagon or a sedan, it should be a little easier for them to do. And they do a great job. It's such a nice, comfortable car to drive. And what I really appreciated the back seats, you know, when you have a bench seat, they're generally relatively depending on how nice the car is sometimes they're flat as a pancake there's like zero contour other times there's a little bit of fancy stitching but they're not truly contoured this one the back seats on the outboard sides are truly like slightly contoured so that you feel like you're sitting it's not like a bucket seat up front but they're unbelievably comfortable but you get some lateral yeah you get some lateral support which is not common stitching and fanciness sure but this actually has lateral support which you don't get in a lot of cars Funny, though, it's not like you're going to be taking corners at like 120 miles an hour in this. But still, to have that little extra support if you're going on a road trip is something that I think is really nice. Um, there's a 9-inch infotainment screen. There's an 11.2-inch digital instrument cluster. Um, so it has that, you know, everything digital dashboard that makes a car. I think when you don't have that anymore, I feel like it makes a car look dated. I know there's plenty of cars that don't have digital instrument clusters, but is that's becoming more and more and more common when you get one that doesn't it's like oh like you've stepped back like way farther in time than what you think you know it, it, mm-hmm. it they feel dated so in a luxury car you should have that um the one i had had napa leather seats and there was wood trim and one of my favorite things in a volvo is when they have that or fours crystal gear shift mm-hmm. i love that like that's the one blingy thing in this volvo but it's not like it's like blingy and just tacky like like Chrome, it's not like, it's not ridiculously ostentatious right it's like oh i have a lovely crystal gear shift thank you very much like it's just it's somehow it's still it's a crystal gear shift but it still looks really nice and i think because the rest of the car is very like you said very sort of muted very swedish very refined and reserved in its luxury having one little touch that's a little bit more bright and stands out um and i noticed and i don't know that i noticed this before if you look at the gear shift, it actually says aura fours. Like you have to kind of look at the right oh, I, angle. I've never noticed that before. Yeah. So you have to. So it's like, I don't think it's on top of the, the it almost looks like it's in I can't tell where it is in the crystal gear shift. But if you sort of angle yourself just the right way and it's very small, it's it's not like the size of the whole gear shift. I don't know. It looks like it's maybe the size of a quarter. At, if that there, it says aura fours. So you can see it. You just have to look just the right way. So next time you sit down in a Volvo with one, you have to just like keep shifting in your seat until the light hits the gear shift. And then you can see that it tells you. But even that, we're not going to scream to the from the hills that this is a crystal gear shift. We're just going to like, oh, by the way, if you look at this the right way, this is in fact crystal, not a giant piece of plastic. 
So that's really pretty. Um, and again, I like how it creates the vibe in there. And rear passengers, even like in this one, and I don't know if it's all of them. I, I, in the one I had, it had it. You get your own climate control and there's heated rear seats, which my daughter thought was like the best thing ever. <laughs> um, and this was the fancier, the two trims I had. Um, I had the ultimate. And you know what? I just realized I didn't put pricing down on this. Um, so, the, so, but I like, you know, I feel like Volvo is a brand overall. I like Volvos. I think they do a good job of balancing being practical. This is a wagon. It's got room for five people. It's got plenty of cargo room. It's easy to drive with being luxurious, with high quality materials, with a nice design and with plenty of power. And I feel like the Volvo cross country does that. So I'm, I'm a fan. Have you driven so the cross country? I, I have driven the cross country. Um, it, did you have this, did you have the plug-in hybrid or was it just the, the gas um, engine? I uh I just had the gas engine. Sorry, I okay. think back. That was like two weeks ago. <laughs> yeah, the reason, reason I ask is because in the past, they all the Volvos I've had that had the the crystal gear shift were always the plug-in hybrids. Wait, no, um, I take that back. I'm sorry, I'm remembering what's in my driver right now. It was the plug-in hybrid. Oh, I okay, it was. Sorry, I take it back. It was. Sorry, I had to think. Or was it? Was it? I thought it was. I have this memory that I. I mean, I don't know. If they may. They may offer that as an option on the the gas engine too. I. I don't know. Yeah, I think this was a plug-in hybrid. My brain tells me it was, but I'm. I'm going to be honest. It's been a little bit since I drove. Like I said, this was like two weeks back that I drove this one, and now I'm drawing a complete blank as to whether it was the plug-in hybrid or not. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> it's all right. Um. Cool. Um. So what else did you have? Well, I also had. When I'm driving this week, and this one is in my driveway, um, and I don't have a Monroney for it, so I kind of sort of built it, so I kind of sort of know how much it cost. I have the 2024 Mercedes-Benz AMG GLS 63. <sighs> it's, a, it's a long title. So that is the fanciest of the GLS. So you can get this. It starts, technically, the GLS at $87,000, which is expensive, but like luxury car three row suv not bazonkers right uh -huh. that's the base trim the second trim in the lineup takes you all the way up to one hundred and twelve thousand dollars, which is now you're getting kind of pricey but wait there's more if you go for the amg and the only amg official version is the gls 63 that one starts at one hundred and forty five thousand dollars. so now you're really getting up there i tried to build the one i have and i think when i looked at all the options Mine's probably running at around $160,000 as it sits in my driveway. Um, it's beautiful. It has this dark green color that when you look at it, you think it's black into, until you turn the right way, kind of like the gear shift in the Volvo. You look the right way, you're like, oh, wait, there's color to that. So it's this beautiful green. And I had the wheels. These are the funkiest wheels ever. They're like a solid wheel. So instead, like they're, they call, and they're actually like, they're a monoblock wheel is what they call them. So when you look at it, it doesn't have lots and lots of little tiny spokes or cutouts. It's pretty much like a solid piece. It sort of makes me think of how, um, it makes me think of the old, I think it was a Honda Insight, had those very flat wheels to help improve the mm -hmm. airflow over the, it yeah. reminds me of that, um, but it looks super fancy because they're matte black. Also, absolutely terrifying to try and drive this anywhere near a curb. <laughs> I'm like, oh God, oh God, oh God. Because you know, if you even remotely, it's not just going to be like you scratch it, it's black. So it's going to be like this horrible line. So it's a little bit um, a little bit horrifying to have to drive in tight spots. I'm like, I'm parallel parked like five feet from the curb. I'm like, not taking any chances. I'm not scratching these wheels. <laughs> um, so that, but it looked 
fabulous. Like everybody was commenting on how it looked at replacement. They're like, that car looks fantastic. Um, it has a four liter V8 by turbo. Um, there is plenty of power, 603 horsepower, 627 pound feet torque. Um, this is a six passenger SUV. It's not small. You wouldn't know that it's a six passenger SUV. It has a 4.1 second, I think it's four. Yeah, 4.1 second zero to 60 time. That's ridiculous for a car this know. big. Kind of, kind of modest by modern you EV think? standards. So. I think, well, by EV standards, this is not an EV. This is an old fashioned gasoline mm -hmm. engine. Uh, so, but it's, it really has, it has a lot of power. You, you know, when you, when you floor it, you're going to move. And it also sounds great. It, it has that neat, again, luxury cars are a little bit of a different animal than straight up performance cars. Yes, this is the super fancy, elegant, most luxurious, luxurious and performance version of this vehicle from Mercedes, but it's still a Mercedes. It still has to be somewhat refined. And that means in this particular car, you feel that power, it's aggressive acceleration, and you hear the engine, but it's always that sort of muted engine sound. Like it's as if you're in some place, like you're like, okay, you're walking to a club, you walk by a building that's playing really loud music and you hear the mm -hmm. from outside, but you open the door and it's loud and in your face. This is from outside. It's like the slightly muted. You hear the engine, but it's not in your face like it is in a real true just all I am about is being fast and being a sports car, which is like what it sounds like when you open the door of the club. So I, I like the sort of muted power of this. And the interior is just, it's crazy. I'm just, it, it's crazy. In fact, when you sit down, all I have done is unlock the door and I've opened the door and I've sat down. I haven't done anything yet. And it plays this little, just this little AMG graphic across the screen. It goes like, boom. Like what was the what was the thing in the movie theaters the surround sound thing that would play oh, that? Uh, um, it used to play this really like this certain yeah THX, THX. Or, THX yeah. and it made that really woo sound like to like yeah. and then boom to kind of let you know like you have surround sound it does that just to let you know you sat down like welcome boom it's really kind of cool um, so that's kind of neat um, it has the voice control for its infotainment system and I find Hey Mercedes to be halfway decent. Um, it doesn't, it, it hears Russ sitting in the passenger seat. Not everything hears your passenger. Mm -hmm. Um, it doesn't hear him super well in the passenger seat. Like it hears him. It knows he's speaking. It knows he said, Hey, Mercedes. And then the command, it's like, Oh, it did not hear the rest of what you said. Like, so it kind of hears him and understands him about half the time. For me, I felt like it was pretty good when I asked it to do something. It was good about doing it. I even didn't know. And this is weird. I wanted it. I sat down. It was freezing cold. I hadn't looked to see where the every, all the controls were. I'm like, I'm going to try this. I'm like, Hey, Mercedes, turn on the heated seats and the heated steering wheel. And it's like heated seats turned on this car, not equipped with a heated steering wheel. It's $160,000 and it doesn't have that's, a heated steering wheel. I, I, I've got a $35,000 car in the driveway right now that's got a heated steering wheel. And that's I'm ridiculous. telling you, I looked, I, I my first thought was, hey, Mercedes, you're wrong. Like, this has got <laughs> to be missing. But we looked and I could not find the heated steering that's wheel. That's probably so an extra one. two grand. It was probably an extra two grand as a stand. I'm like, oh, man, I would be so bummed. I was like, I don't have. So I'm driving along my $160,000 car with a really toasty butt and freezing cold hands. So that was a little disappointing. It's like that shouldn't be that way. But in the back, we did have, I think it was the executive um, package because there were heated and ventilated second row seats. Um, I don't know if it was a fact, again, because I was trying to piece this together, but it did have a nice heated second row that my daughter's like, oh, this heats up really fast. So she again got gold star for that. Um, it's roomy. It's quiet. It has, you know, the chrome trim on the um, 
as you step into the car, it has a chrome trim on the tailgate. It has the fancy little puddle lights. So when you open up your car, there's a Mercedes TriStar shows on the ground. Um, and it it's it's and it's lit up inside. Okay, I didn't change the colors, but it was this really dark, vibrant purple. And it goes all along the trim, but it's even on the center console. There are these two little sort of handles on either side. I don't, I don't know why the driver would suddenly need to grab on for dear life, but if you did, that's where you would grab on for dear life. And it, even that is outlined with lighting. So it's like purple lights everywhere when you sit down in the car. Um, it looks beautiful, and I feel like it definitely has to. This is more, like we talked about the Volvo being kind of muted, sort of a reserve, and granted, far less expensive than this, but that's like a more reserved, refined, not-in-your-face luxury. This is a little bit more traditional. Everything... Everything demands your attention. Everything says you spent a lot of money on this car. <laughs> hey, right? look at me. I'm rich. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> this one screams, hey, look at me. I'm rich. The Volvo's like, I might have some money, but I'm not garish. I'm not going to be crass. I'm not going to be, um, you know, in your face about it. The, the Mercedes is like, yeah, right here, me, money. So, <laughs> um, and if you want that, that's fine. I don't have a problem. If you want to spend 160 grand on an SUV and it makes you happy, then spend 160 grand on an SUV and be happy. So, so I like the Mercedes, um, except for the fact that it, to the best of my knowledge, does not have um, heated a heated stereo. Although it does have a heated and cooled cup holder. Well, right? I mean, and like, but in you, the grand scheme, Sam, you're you, you want to maintain car, the temperature of whatever you're drinking. You're going to need the warm, the warm drink to keep your hands warm because your steering wheel doesn't have exactly. Heat. Yes, <laughs> maybe that's the trade off. <laughs> you, okay, you want to you pick up that that nice heated yeti uh mm -hmm. mug from from your heated cup holder yes. you know every time your hands get cold on that unheated steering wheel just grab just that grab that, that stainless steel yeti Cradle warm up your fingers a little bit have yeah. a drink and then put it back down put it back down maybe that's it that's the trade-off okay now it there all, you go. now it all makes sense that yeah of course totally makes sense so yeah so those are my two cars that i've had over the last couple of weeks um both of which I really like and very different vehicles. And I, I still, I'm always, I'm always surprised or, or sort of, I don't know, I guess, you know, rich people have kids too, but I just can never fathom like a car this nice. Generally, this is a family car. You're not buying this for just a couple. You could, but you're probably not. So you've got kids back there. And I look at all the pretty Napa leather and the suede and all the mechanical stuff that could easily get bits of non-mechanical stuff stuck into it. I'm thinking, I mean, I you know, blobs of ketchup and mustard and ketchup and mustard and like and the French fry that falls and then gets squished and becomes fry mush. Like, yeah. Like mm, I, it always Those will blend me. real well with that Napa leather. Oh God. <laughs> Eventually when they mold and turn brown, no one will even know that they're there. They'll just bread yeah. blend right in with those seeds. Exactly. Yeah. That's the part that always, I'm like, gosh, but I guess if, you know, if you have 160 grand to spend on a car this price, you probably are like, well, let's just go get a detailed again, honey. <laughs> yeah. You know? I, I mean, you probably do that true. weekly anyway. Right. You have your weekly detail. They just take it. They clean it. You drive your other cars yeah. while it's being detailed. Or, you know, somebody comes and picks it up from your office while you're at work. Oh, yeah. even more so. And, yes. and take, you know, gets it all cleaned up. And then, you know, by the time you walk out of the office, it's back right where it's you left perfect it. Perfect and shiny in your executive parking space where you left it that morning. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah so those are my vehicles for the last couple of weeks excellent um well i had something that uh kind of falls in between price wise um yeah. but is probably actually bigger than both of them um and that is the um <clears throat> 2023 chevrolet tahoe rst uh and 
So this is kind of the high end, more most premium version of the Tahoe uh, mm-hmm. that I, I think it's the highest end version of the Tahoe. It's sort so it's a high end sort of sportier version. Um, not that you know a Tahoe is ever really sporty, <laughs> but but it does actually kind of sound sporty because it's got um, a six point two liter V eight uh, with quad exhaust tips, and it's got an it it definitely sounds like a, a high performance, you know, small block V8. You know, it sounds like almost sounds like something you would expect in a Camaro or or a Corvette. Um, you know, it's got a got that classic small block growl thunder, you know, rumble to it. Um, so there there is that. Uh, but you know, this is this is a a big SUV, but not the biggest that Chevrolet makes because they also have the suburban, which is basically this with an extra foot of length on it. Um, but, uh, so the, the, the Tahoe, uh, the one that I have has the second row captain's chairs, uh, rather than the bench seat. So it's, uh, I think is it, uh, I have to, I'm not sure if it's got, I think it's got three seat belts in the third row, but you would not actually want to, you know, try to, unless it was like kids, you know, or very slim friends, you would not want to <laughs> try to pack three in the back row. Cause it's not that wide but it does you know ever since uh the, the current generation when they went when they finally adopted an independent rear suspension you know now the the rear floor because one of the problems with the tahos and suburbans in the past when they still had a solid rear axle compared to uh the ford expedition and navigator and uh and and some of the other um vehicles in this class um uh, you know with a solid axle they they always had to have the, the rear floor pan had to curve up and in the back to give clearance for that axle to move up and down. Mm-hmm. And so now the, the, the rear floor, you know, stays lower all the way to the back tailgate, which means that when you're sitting in that third row, you're sitting in a much more comfortable, natural position. You're not sitting with your knees up in the air, you know, above your hips. So you can sit in a, in a more comfortable position. So that's good. Um, there's adequate rear headroom and legroom in the in the third row for adults. I can I can fit back there fairly easily. And it is, by the way, it is three. You were going back and forth because okay. this technically I'm googling and it says it seats up to technically you can get a I think you can get that front row possibly with a bench seat and have uh, three in that front. I, or maybe you could it. I don't think. So. I don't think so. I don't think is they offer a no bench more? in the front. Okay, because it's like things are coming up saying a bench in the front, but I'm seeing seven oh, to maybe- eight. Maybe maybe there is, but or maybe but it was you can a certain you can get the year, but you, you can definitely get the, have three in the back back. Yeah, and the second row bench, you know, that's six, and then two mm-hmm. in the front. Yeah. Um. So you know this this is a this is a big traditional American SUV, um, and compared to uh, you know past generations, uh, when they when they redesigned it, you know GM really upped the game on materials and fit and finish and this thing. Yeah, you because know, in the past. They always, even though they were not inexpensive, they always felt a little cheap relative to the price point and relative to to a lot of the competition mm-hmm. uh, with with hard plastics and everything. This definitely feels more premium. Um, it's got lots and lots of towing capability. You know, the the ten speed automatic is smooth. Um, I think you can tow something like ten thousand pounds with this. I didn't pull up all the all the specs for this particular variant. Um, but uh, the the one kind of downside, one well, one one downside uh, with the Tahoe relative to the Suburban, if you are doing longer road trips with 
you know, more than uh, the passengers in the first two rows. There's not a huge amount of room behind the third row seat for cargo. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you're if you're regularly doing longer road trips with more than five people in the vehicle, um, you may want to consider the Suburban instead uh, because you get that extra length. So you get a little more third row leg room, but you also get a lot more rear cargo space with the uh, with the suburban so you know if you've got it especially if you got younger kids you get to pack all the detritus that goes with having younger kids um <laughs> you know and you know whatever luggage and gear uh the suburban might be a better choice in that case but for hauling people around town you know this definitely has no issue with that aside from just the usual issues of an suv versus a minivan you know i still think a minivan is a better form factor for hauling the kids around it really is. And and I, I've never had one. I've never owned one. And I was like, I can't get past the stigma. So I get it that people don't, but dang it, it is the best call with kids because those sliding doors make it so easy to for the, the kids just in and out, poof, they just step up and get in. Like there's, it's so much easier, so much easier. Even buckling kids in, trying to buckle a kid into something where you have a door open and you're just trying to get a squirming. And it's down lower, you know, where, as opposed to trying yeah. to reach up to kind of get the kid into the easier. car seat. Really, I mean, SUVs, they have a purpose and they're great, but gosh dang it, minivans really do that family with kids thing much better. Yeah, and the, the one I have uh, is in Victory Red with uh, jet black interior and mm-hmm. black painted alloy wheels, 20-inch uh, wheels. Um, and, you know, it looks, it looks sharp. Um, and you know, if if a big SUV is your thing, you know this, the you know the Tahoe has always been one of the best. Uh, the current generation has much improved ride quality and handling compared to previous generations, and is arguably the the best of the current big SUVs. Um, the uh, so the 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 one that I have uh, only a couple options. the The base engine is the five point three liter V eight, which is also a really good engine. Um, I had the 6.2, uh, the rear seat media system. So the, the, the 6.2 is a $2,500 upgrade, um, $2,000 for the rear seat entertainment system. Um, the radiant red tint coat paint was uh, $495 and the, uh, the floor con the power sliding floor console, uh, with drawer was $350. So all in this came to $81,405. It's a lot. Just a lot of money for for a Tahoe. Yeah, I mean you yeah, can you can you can get Tahoes for a lot less than this. Um, you know, certainly you know around fifty thousand uh, dollars, and and this the base price on the RST is sixty five. So you know, talking you know fifteen thousand dollars worth of fourteen thousand yeah. dollars worth of upgrades on this one. Yeah, uh, that's the thing on any car though. Like once you start adding that, like when you look at those base prices. Almost no one ever really gets that one. So you really got to yeah. think you're probably going to want a thing or two, even if you're trying to be, you know, conservative in how much you spend. Those base prices on cars aren't really what any of us are really going to end up paying. And of course, you know, if you can if you can swing $80,000 for a Tahoe, then you can probably afford the gas for this thing because you oh, will God. be spending quite a bit on gas. Uh, EPA fuel economy, 14 city, 18 miles per gallon highway, 16 Ouch. combined. Uh, oh my gosh. I, I got, a, I got right around 16, but I was also doing mostly highway driving with it. Um, so it's, uh, not particularly fuel efficient. No, not especially. No. Yikes. Oh, so, that's a trade-off. I mean, yeah. I mean, you're paying for the performance and you know, the size and, 
Uh, you know, this does have wireless Android Auto and Apple CarPlay um, and all of the uh, uh, driver assist features, including adaptive cruise control. No Super Cruise available yet, though, uh, on the Tahoe, uh, maybe next year. But right now, you can't get that. I so like that's... the Tahoe. I think it's a solid vehicle for what it does. Oh, Is absolutely. It, yeah. You know, I think it's a good choice. Yeah, I mean, if if you if you really feel like you need a a big giant SUV, you know, then then Here's this one big giant SUV <laughs> have at this it. one this one will do what <laughs> what people want of a big giant SUV, which yeah. is haul a lot of people and haul a lot of stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Did you know you can support Wheelbearings directly? Head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia and you can become a patron today. Your contributions will help fund the platforms and tools we use to bring the podcast to you. And exclusives and improvements are already on the way thanks to your generosity. So if you want to be part of an automotive podcast like no other, head to patreon.com slash wheelbearingsmedia. All righty. Let's talk about this past week. Okay. Um, so... I spent a couple of days in South Carolina mm -hmm. uh, at BMW Test Fest. <clears throat> and this is a program that BMW has been doing annually for quite a few years now. Um, and other manufacturers also used to do stuff like this, where they would basically bring out most of their, most or all of their vehicle lineup and let you jump from one vehicle to another. Uh, Chrysler used to have a really good one at their, their Proving Grounds, oh. the the What's New event. They had They did it in June where they brought out all the stuff that was new for the the upcoming model year. And so you get to try out all the different vehicles from all the brands. And uh, they haven't done that since, uh, since before the pandemic, uh, mm -hmm. unfortunately. Uh, we'll see if they ever bring it back. Um, but BMW is still doing Test Fest. Um, and they had a lot of their products there, especially a lot of the newer stuff. Um, and uh, I got to spend uh, time with, with several vehicles I haven't driven previously. Uh, including uh, the XM, which is the the first um, let's see the first dedicated SUV for the M brand, um, and the first M only vehicle since the original M1 back in the late 1970s. Wow! Uh, so um, the the XM is a big. Yeah, you know, uh, I think it's slight, just slightly larger than an X5. It's a two-row SUV with very, very aggressive styling, uh, somewhat, <laughs> somewhat controversial styling. Uh, but it, uh, it's just a bit, just, just a wee bit. Uh, but it also has a very impressive powertrain, uh, a 4.4-liter twin-turbo V8 um, with a plug-in hybrid system. Uh, so this thing 
um, will give you, it's got enough battery for about 30 miles of all electric range. Um, it has, uh, let's see, grand total of 644 horsepower. Um, base price, $159,000. Super cheaps. Yeah. Uh, they also, uh, have the XM label, um, which is a trim level, which gives you even more power. It bumps that from 644 to 738 horsepower and 738 foot pounds of torque, um, which is a lot. Bazonkers. Yeah. And, you know, this is not a lightweight vehicle. I mean, this thing, uh, I don't see the the weight here, but it's it's probably on the order of about three tons. So about okay, 6,000 pounds. And I just Googled it because I wanted to bring up some stuff as you were talking. I like to have it in front of me as we chat. And the one I came up with has like, this red trim around the grill that makes that grill even more Lord almighty. That's right in your face. <laughs> it is the styling. I was like, Oh gosh, are they all like, no, like, well, there's, there's also a, th- a thin light bar around. Oh. So there, and that's, that's the, the light bar is white. So that goes around the perimeter of the two kidneys. Yeah. So the one I see, there's the light bar in white and then it's outlined in red and there's red. What happened to this one? Who did this one? Oh, Go ahead. Sorry, I'm just it's, like, oh, you're not. That is polarizing it, styling, all right. It, it, it's it's a lot. It's a lot. Um, but if you want a really fast SUV that can also give you, you know, some electric driving uh, mm-hmm. capability, um, you know, this one, this one's right there for you. It does it. Yeah. Um, and you know, despite its size and its mass, um, it handles surprisingly well. Uh, I took it on a little mountain route, you know, some some curvy roads um, yeah. near uh, near Greenville. Um, and it, it handled it well, you know, I mean, you do have to take care because of its size, you know, on narrow roads, um, you know, at, at one point, um, there was, uh, some trees that were, uh, or some bushes that were kind of sticking out a little bit into the roadway and there was a, an oncoming vehicle in the opposite lane, you know, and so wanted to make sure to have, leave enough space there. And so it did, you know, brush along the, the side of the passenger side of the car just a little bit, um, but uh, you know, it's was it as scary as my five thousand dollar wheels on my Mercedes? <laughs> uh, no, no. <laughs> uh, it definitely, definitely not as scary as those monoblock <laughs> wheels. But those are cool looking wheels, by the They're way. They're really cool. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but so this, you know, so the XM, you know, is probably not something I would personally go for. Uh, but you know, if you're in the market for something like you know a Porsche Cayenne uh, Turbo e Hybrid. Um, or trying to think so there's, there's not really anything else quite like this. That's the Cayenne's probably the only other one that, Closest, that is yeah. close to this. You know, it's also a plug-in hybrid, with a lot of performance. Um, you know, if you're in the market for something like that, this is this is worth a look. Um, you know, if you particularly if you if you like this more aggressive, you know, kind of chunky styling. The the car I was most interested in driving though was the new five series. Yeah, How so was the, that? it it was really really good. Um, I I like the design of the new five series. Uh, you know, it does not have, you know, it has a fairly large grill, but it's not a ginormous, you know, Bucky the Beaver, uh, style <laughs> twin kidneys on there like you have on the i four, uh, and the four series. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the the five series is you know is more more restrained in its design. Um, I think you know it looks looks really sharp. Um, and it is really, really good to drive. 
uh, you know, it it handles really well. Um, they had three different variants of the five series available there. We had the uh, the 530i, which is I think the going to be the, the base model here in the U.S. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the i5 E Drive 40, and the i5 M60, uh, which is the the highest performance variant. And that has that version the uh, the M60 has the same motor setup that you will find in the uh, the i7, the larger i7, uh, and it uh it will go it's fast it's <laughs> it will go <laughs> it's it's got some serious power i feel like that should be like a tagline pnw it will go like that <laughs> nice short little tag nine it will yeah. go no it's it's got some juice all right um and let me find it here real quick um the um the uh, <clears throat> the the i5 m60 you know it it was really fast but I think personally, if I was actually buying a new five series, I would actually go for the E drive 40. Um, so the, the M60 is a dual motor, all wheel drive, uh, version. Um, the, um, the E drive 40 is single motor rear wheel drive. So similar to what we had on the I4, where we had the M50 and the E drive 40, um, the M60 will go from zero to 60. It's got 593 horsepower, goes zero to 60 in 3.7 seconds which is it's more than it's sufficient quick yeah more more than adequate more than adequate for getting on the highway the uh the e-drive 40 335 horsepower 5.7 seconds zero to 60 which is still very very quick still speedy quick and yes. it is it is all the power you'll need and you get more more driving range with it um you know you you may not be able to uh beat you know, a Tesla Model 3 performance, you know, or Model S, you know, in the in a drag race. But how often do you really do that? Yeah. If you want a, I mean, a there's nice... someone who does that every day, this might not be the car for them. But otherwise... Yeah. If you want a nice, you know, upper mid-size luxury sedan that is quick, handles really well. Um, the, the only complaint I would have with the handling is maybe the steering feedback. The steering was a little light, even in sport mode. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know, it was precise, you know, it went exactly where I pointed it. Um, and it was, it was still a lot of fun to drive this car. Yeah, I, I can see what? why I, I have not driven it. So I'm, I'm a little bit jealous, but, um, I, cause I've not done test fest, so I've not been able to experience that, but I think that's, that's fun. Well, hopefully you'll get a chance to get in one, uh, this week, uh, when you're in LA for, the world car drives. Hopefully they'll yes, have, the have world some car there. Drives. And I do want to say I have a list of all the vehicles coming up for the uh, world car drives. Um, and we're there from, gosh, it technically starts today. It's Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, I think. But because it's from people all over the world, you have people coming in. But it's a long time to get here if you're coming from, you know, Saudi or something, you know. So it's a couple of days to give everybody time to have time to drive and get and get it, get their hands on all the cars. So I'll be driving tomorrow most of the day and tuesday most of the day and hopefully i'll have some time with some bmws while i'm there yeah yeah you know the the you know just the the overall design of this thing i I think it's you know it's a nice clean design kind of gets back a little bit to some of the things that that bmw has done in the past you know not not so um outrageous i guess from a design standpoint um it's you know better better balanced um you know roomy the back seat is roomy as well uh good size trunk in this thing so you know i like i said i would probably go 
with um, the eDrive 40, just as, mm-hmm. you know, same thing with the i4. Um, the eDrive 40 starts at 66,800. Uh, the M60 starts at 84,100. Um, and, you know, you can you can get uh, like an M Sport package, M Sport appearance package on the eDrive 40. So you can mostly look like you're driving an M60. If that's if that's your preference, that's what you want. <laughs> yeah, um, while still having the extra range and and everything and and lower cost of the uh, the eDrive forty. Uh, so there's that. Oh, um, one of the things that you know that we we also get to spend some time at the BMW Performance Center in Spartanburg, which is across the road from BMW's massive assembly plant in Spartanburg. Uh, the Spartanburg plant is their their largest plant, the largest BMW plant in the world. And is also uh, happens to be the largest exporter of vehicles from the United States of any company. No they, kidding. Yeah, they um, they export about two hundred thousand vehicles a year from Spartanburg overseas, because it is the only plant that builds vehicles like the um, the X three, X four, X six, X five, and X seven. They're built exclusively in Spartanburg, so they they ship those vehicles everywhere. Um, I know. And, yeah, I did not know that. That's kind of neat. Yeah, uh, and and the plant is getting even bigger. And uh, about uh, fifteen minutes down the road, they're building a battery plant, uh, which will be building the battery packs for the EVs that they're going to build in Spartanburg uh, mm-hmm. from twenty twenty six onwards. Um, and uh, so, but the the performance center, you know, if you are a BMW owner. Um, you can go there, you know, they have a, a track there, they have instruction, you know, if you want to learn to drive your BMW better, um, you can go there um, and take training. Uh, they also have an off-road facility there, uh, but we got to drive a few cars uh, on the track. Um, and I had a chance to do some hot laps um, in the i5 M60 and mm-hmm. also in the M2. Okay. What'd you think of the M2? The M2 is really good. I had that uh, a few weeks back. So and and you know, for as a as a sports car, you know, I think it's I think it's great as a sports car. Did it have that carbon fiber package? It did. With the what, what did you think about the weird carbon fiber seat insert? Did it bother you? Uh, on, no. On on the track it was fine. Because yeah. you know, it keeps you exactly where you're supposed to be. It keeps you yeah. perfectly placed in front of the steering wheel. But. Um I, I w- don't think I would necessarily want those seats <laughs> on this, you know, for daily driving. Yeah. But on the track it was it was fine. <laughs> Uh, and, uh, but uh, the thing is I drove the, the I five M 60 first and then drove the M two and the M two actually feels slower, less responsive, less slow because with, with the, with the dual motor EV, Mm -hmm. you know, it, you roll on, you roll on the accelerator and it just goes, there's like, instant responsiveness it does exactly what you want exactly mm-hmm. when you ask it to do it there is no there's like almost no lag at all to anything um you know obviously it's a bigger heavier car than the m2 right. uh, and i think you know if i was actually you know if we were actually measuring lap times the m2 might well be faster but it doesn't feel doesn't that feel way feel like it that's actually a big like like that's an interesting thing just when you talk about the difference between a gas and a, and, a, and an electric vehicle, like that it is a totally different experience. Like mm-hmm. you can just take a gas vehicle and you compare numbers. This has, you know, X horsepower. This is X times two. This has X times three. And you can be pretty sure the one with the higher horsepower is going to be, you're getting more performance with electric vehicles. You compare their horsepower to something that might be more 
in a gas vehicle, you're it's you're not going to, the comparison doesn't work because it's just so instant in an EV. Right. It, it, even if it's not as fast or even if it's technically, you know, technically the numbers aren't as robust, it could feel much more impressive, much more exhilarating and really deliver performance that you cannot get in a gas vehicle. On the other hand, even though the gas vehicle does not feel as sophisticated, you know, yes. it, and it has has some turbo lag. You know, mm-hmm. and you know it's it feels a little twitchier, you know, in the uh, coming out of corners. Yeah. Um, I actually prefer driving that. Why? Um, because from a from a driving perspective, mm-hmm. you know the the i five is almost too easy. Mm-hmm. There's 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 no um, it it doesn't feel like it requires any skill. Yeah. You know, I mean, uh, it it does to a certain degree. I mean, you know, if you get on the accelerator too hard in the EV. You know, you can get it to to misbehave, yeah, uh, up to a point. But you know, it it all you know, and this is this is actually a a complaint I have about a lot of modern performance vehicles, is they have gotten so good that to approach their limits and and you know to kind of exercise your own skills, you have to push them so hard that if something does go wrong, <laughs> you are going to be in big trouble. <laughs> um, Whereas, you know, the M2, I mean, it still has very high limits, right? but there, you know, there's things about its, its behavior. Like I said, there's a bit of turbo lag, you know, and if you get on, get on the gas, you know, at the wrong time, you know, you can get the back end to come around and, mm-hmm. you know, and, and it can feel a little twitchy and, you know, but, you know, then when you turn in, it doesn't necessarily turn in quite the same way, quite as it doesn't yeah. feel as responsive. And so it's a matter of you, you have to learn to time when you're doing things, you know? So as you're coming, as you're passing the apex of a corner, you know, you want to start rolling on the throttle, not, not too hard because you, you know, when that boost does come on, you know, you don't want it to, to twitch mm-hmm. um, and, and, you know, get away from you, but um, you know, to get the, the maximum vol- you want to time it so that you know as you're coming out of that corner that boost and that power is coming on and then you can accelerate down the straightaway um you know so it, it takes a little more skill you know it's more challenging to drive and as someone who enjoys driving mm-hmm. you know um and you know and you know trying to be a better driver it's it's more enjoyable from that perspective um That's you know fair. the the i5 might well be you know offer similar lap times but it does it in a very very different way and so you know i i like the i5 a lot you know if i was in the market for you know luxury mid-sized sedan i would absolutely that would absolutely be on my list uh, my shopping list but um you know as a sports car i would take the m2 I like the M2. I'm a big fan of the M2. I love it. I mean, I can't compare it to the other, but I I do love the. I M2. forget. Did it's... did you have a manual or an automatic? I had an automatic when I okay. had it. Which even you know, and that's the thing you're talking about. Things getting so good. It's it, it's it's an automatic, but like the, there's something fun to shifting gears. You mm-hmm. know, sort of visceral physical experience of doing that. But even as an automatic, that car was a lot of fun. So um, so that's the i5 and the M2, the XM. Uh, let's see what else. Oh. Um, we also had a chance to do some ride-alongs in some vintage BMW race cars. Uh, they had four of them there. They had a 1980 uh, M1 uh, Group 4 car that ran an IMSA mm-hmm. in 80 and 81 that uh, Tom Plasinski was driving. He's the head of communications for BMW North America. And, and how was that? Oh, uh, I, 
it looked great. It sounded great. Unfortunately, um, I could not manage to bend my body in such a way as to be able to get through the, <laughs> the opening between the roll bars into the seat uh, with yeah. a, with a helmet on and everything. Mm-hmm. I just could not, I could not get myself into it. Some older but, cars are like, they're, they're, they're not made for people. It, it's just like you have to be short and skinny. Right. <laughs> Literally just and, short and skinny. And, and, and flexible. And very flexible. More, more, more flexible than I am. In, yeah. Especially once you put a he- helmet on your head, if you've never worn a helmet, it makes you very bobblehead. Yes. Even in a regular old boring, you know, vehicle that's not even specifically a race, like done to be racing, you'll wonk your head on the door frame every time. If you don't really tuck your head in. So as soon as you make things that confines a little smaller, they get really hard to get in and out of. Yeah. Uh, but I did get to ride in a um, in a 2011 uh, M3 GT, um, which uh, also raced in the American Le Mans series. I remember watching that car running in in ALMS uh, more than a decade ago, and the um, uh, Z4 GTLM, um, which uh, and then they also had uh, like I think a 2006 M3 uh, GT um, with a six cylinder. The 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 ninety the E92 and the Z4 both had V8 engines, um, and they were they were a lot of fun to ride in. Um, then the the last thing uh, that I drove um, was a um, car that is probably the most appropriately named car on the market today. Yes. The uh, the Rolls-Royce Spectre. I feel like it's, the name, though, makes me immediately think there should be a villain going, <laughs> as he drives away and blows up the building behind him. <laughs> I, and I wouldn't be surprised if that was what that villain was driving. That is what it is. <laughs> uh, but, you know, I mean, you know, Spectre is a ghost, a phantom, you know, that floats along silently. Um, and that's what this car does. I mean, it is the first electric Rolls Royce, battery electric Rolls Royce. Um, it has uh, an absurd amount of power. Um, it, uh, let's see, 190 kilowatt, 365, 190 kilowatt front motor, 360 rear motor, um, you know, over 600 horsepower um, altogether from this thing. Lots and lots of torque. Yeah. And this is a, a fairly good sized car um, that is, not lightweight Rolls Royce is rarely, they never really are, uh, but it still gets from zero to hundred kilometers an hour, zero to 62 miles an hour in four and a half seconds. Um, but it does so in such a way that you don't really feel like you're accelerating that fast. It just goes. And it is when, it, when you're inside with the windows rolled up, it is silent. So the Spectre is a coupe. Uh, and I think it kind of replaces the, uh, what was the the previous coupe? The Don? No, the Don was the convertible, right? Yeah, um, Don was. I feel like Don was convertible. Don Spectre. Oh my gosh, I'm just trying to blank on my Rolls Royces. Yeah, um, because you know I'm in them so often. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, you know, once once a year Phantom, at best. Phantom. Wait. Um, Spectre, the Phantom just... Phantom Drophead Coupe, I think. Or no, Maybe, that yeah. was something. No, that was that there's was a, a Phantom. There's the Spectre. Anyway, it replaces anyway. the previous gas engined uh, coupe. Ghost. Uh, yes. No, the ghost is the sedan. Dang it. I got nothing. Okay, fine. Go uh, ahead. Okay. That's all I got. On the uh, whatever. It's, it's, it's a coupe with a big long hood, you know, which, you know, seems like it could fit a V12, maybe a V16 engine in there. Uh, but it doesn't have that in there. Um, but it's, it's, it's battery electric. And as with other, uh, Rolls Royce coupes and, and convertibles of the last couple of decades, uh, it's got rear hinged doors, you know, so they, they open up. And the the one that I had was in this fabulous green color. 
Uh, and yeah, I got, I got about 30 minutes with this car and it was amazing. Um, I mean, when you're spending this kind of money on a car, you mm-hmm. expect it to be the best of everything. Absolutely. Uh, you know, so this thing had these plush, you know, yellow carpets in there. Um, the interior was uh, sort of a gray with uh, yellow accents, like uh, you know, almost school bus yellow accents, which looks pretty wild. <laughs> um, the it had the um, uh, the shooting star um, stuff that I've seen before in the Phantom and the in the the headliner of the Phantom. They had it in the, uh, in the door inserts and uh, the side panels in the rear, as well as in the headliner uh, mm-hmm. of this thing. Um, the when when you when you turn on the climate control and you turn up the fans, most cars when you turn up the fans, they make a lot of noise. They do. Not in a Spectre. At at anything but the highest fan speed, you almost don't even hear them like at medium wow. at medium speed you do not hear the fans at all and if you put your hand over the vent me nuts yeah if you put but your hand over the vent you will feel feel the air moving but you do not hear the fans it it is really amazing that's um, what you get when you spend how much 420 okay sure 420 i could buy another house or i could buy one of those <laughs> yeah can you imagine can you imagine for one second four hundred and twenty thousand dollars? Yeah, um, this this was a, a fabulous two tone finish, green lower, black Ugh. upper, um, the bright chrome grill, um, which is wider than traditional. You know, this is, they said this is the widest Pantheon grill they've ever put on a Rolls Royce. Um, the, That's the, saying something because the grill on the Rolls Royce is not exactly reserved. It's well, nice. traditionally they've been a little bit narrower but taller. <clears throat> this yeah. one is lower but wider. Okay, uh, so they've kind of squished it down, um, and then. Um, uh, what uh, what else? There was something else about this. Um, the the infotainment system, you know, is BM is a variant, uh, a reskinned variant of the uh, the BMW iDrive. Um, and this car is just so effortless to drive. It just accelerates effortlessly. It's quiet until you put the windows down. Then it makes some wind noise. Yeah. But as long as the windows are up, it's just amazing. Um, and uh, the the doors are powered, um, so there's a couple of switches on the center console because mm-hmm. they're rear hinged. You know, it's a bit of a reach to you know you you don't want to have to exert yourself to go and pull the door in. So you can it's just too much effort. Pre- press yeah. the button. Press the button on the center console, and it just motors inwards and closes. And if you want to let a passenger in, you press the other one, uh, pull pull the other one up, and it motors outwards and allows them in. Effortless, you know, as if as if your butler was there, your your invisible butler was there doing it for you. (laughs) Butler. One interesting detail: the the wheels that were on this particular one, uh, and I don't know if you looked at the the picture I dropped in the chat, Nicole, um, as they were describing this uh, the night before. um, The uh, it's these, uh, I think ten ten spoke wheels, the. The spokes on here are actually a stylized version of the wings on the uh, uh, Spirit of Ecstasy, which is the, the the classic Mercedes hood ornament, the uh-huh. the woman on the hood. Rolls Royce uh, hood ornament. Yeah. Um, and so this is a, a, ver- a variant. The, the spokes, these pairs of spokes are a version huh. of the wings on okay. there. Okay. I guess I can. I'm looking at the picture now. I'm like, I guess I can see it. Yeah. Kind of, sort of. Yeah, I can see it. Okay. 
I'll give them. Yes, sure. It is. <laughs> so, you know, if it you've got beautiful. Near, nearly half a million dollars to to drop on a new car, um, you know, and you want to be relatively environmentally friendly, you mm-hmm. know, <laughs> zero emissions, you know, the, the Rolls Royce Spectre, you know, it'll go about 300 miles on a charge um, and uh, and do it in the ultimate in luxury. It's beautiful. <laughs> it is a beautiful car. It it is it is quite stunning. Um, all right, um, what what were you doing this week? Um, well, this week I did something a little different. I, I've actually I've done this once before. So I was in Virginia, in Middleburg, Virginia, at the Mille Miglia U.S. Warm Up. So the Mille Miglia is a race that runs in Italy in June ish, um, and I want to say there's about two hundred or three hundred cars is the limit. It's not. It's a limited number of vehicles. Like it's very, very hard to get into. They vet the cars. They determine which cars get to go in. And it's not just that you have a fancy old car. If there's 10 other fancy old cars, just like yours, they might only pick one of you because they want to have a certain variety um, to the vehicles that are there. But they do warm-ups actually around the world. They do a bunch of them. And they do one here in the U.S. that is um, in Middleburg, Virginia, which is like the horse riding capital or something horseback riding's huge so there's like fox hunts there and in fact we got stopped in the middle at one point we almost messed up a time because there was a fox hunt and we see all the like look at all the riders on their pretty horses we're like oh crap they're gonna cross the road quickly we must get through them before the fox hunt does so that's the area where they run this but basically it's a the mealy Amelia isn't a just get from point a to point b as quickly as you can race um, it's all about precision driving. And the two big things that, in that precision driving are one, they will give you a section of road where you have to maintain your speed. So for the next 10 kilometers, you have to go exactly 45 kilometers per hour, let's say. And you have to maintain that. Well, it's a public road and there's twists and turns and hills and ups and downs. And you have to maintain that. So you're sort of having to adjust your speed back and so as you go to make sure like you uh, go up a little bit to keep that speed up a hill, but then go down a little bit to make sure you're not going too fast on the way down. So that's one of the precision things. The other one is that there are, and this is, I think, is the harder part of it, um, but I guess it depends on your point of view, but you're driving, you know, the little um, pneumatic tubes that you drive over when you go into a gas station, mm-hmm. goes ping, ping. So they have those set up at certain segments and you have to hit the first one and say you'll have 10 seconds to get to the second one and maybe eight seconds to get to the third one and maybe 22 seconds to get to the fourth one, but they aren't equally spaced. So the 10 second ones could be really close or they could be spaced really far apart. So you have to judge how fast you have to go to make sure that you hit it. And they judge it to one one hundredth of a second. So it is really precision driving. And the people that do this, there are places where you can do this all the time in Europe, like like weekend driving things. Like we have cars and coffee. You can enter these sort of races, rallies to do this and be practicing all the time. And if you have there's the pre, um, po- there's the Mille Amelia era and the post Mille era. And I was just trying to look up the year and I forgot it. It's like in the, the because it's older cars, basically in newer cars. Um, and if you're in an older car, especially if you're trying to do that kind of precision thing and you're driving all the time, you get to practice with your car all the time and it's, you get used to it. You can do the same thing with a new car, but I drove the Alfa Romeo Tonale, which I've only driven one other time. Um, because I drove a newer era car. And so it's a little bit weird in that I don't have a lot of practice in this. I did the rally last year um, and we did quite well. We got first place for novices and second place for the post Amelia era. This year didn't do quite 1957. as well. 57. I couldn't find the year. Um, 1957. This year we did, it's weird. We did worse, but we did better. So our score was better because we were better at it. We actually did better. We had fewer penalties. We got a better score. 
But we had some people when you're in the novice category, you're only a novice if you have not actually run the race in Italy. You could have run a million of these races in other capacities, but you just haven't officially run the Mille Miglia in Italy. So we had someone who had some experience and they were a great team. They won, um, they had a Volvo and they were with, I'm not gonna say the tire company, right? Red, Red Stein, Ver, Verredstein. How do you say it? V-R-E-D-S-T-E-I-N. Fred. I don't know. I'm not familiar with that say, brand. I can't. Yes. They, yeah, they're, and I can't say the name of their tires, right, to save my life. Um, yeah. V-R-E-D-E-S-T-E-I-N. I think it was Redstein. Anyway, sorry to them and to everybody who's correcting me. He knows exactly how to say it. Um, it was their team. They won for, um, for the, the Dutch. It's a Dutch tire maker. Is it a Dutch tire maker? Yeah, okay. I've, well, I've never also, heard of them before. Okay. Well, they also sponsor the rally in Italy. So they sponsored here by doing, having a couple of teams entered here and the super fun guys. Um, and so we didn't win the novice category. We actually came in third place in novice this year, but with a better score than we did last year. So it's like a loss, but a win. Like for a personal, like I did better. I did better, but others um, did more better. Others did more better. Well, the funny thing was, is the first, the second place, person and i'm going to call it out because it was just amazing the second place person you probably wreck this name lisa barrow and her husband jack mm -hmm. lisa yeah. barrow was uh she's recently retired from stellantis and her husband's been racing cars and driving cars as a big thing his whole life he wanted to try they came in second place Excellent. So they did really good so i'm like if i'm going to get beaten in second place lisa have at it so it was super fun to have her there but just as lisa not as lisa from stellantis she is just lisa her and her husband were driving a porsche um super fun time and it's three days you start the first day that you're there you spend a day that they just have you at summit point at a racetrack to practice and kind of hone your skills and kind of get familiar with it again especially if you've never done it before to figure out how to do things then you spend thursday friday saturday actually driving and you're driving through all the over hill and dale all through um virginia um it's a beautiful area i mean it's an absolutely beautiful area and there's a lot of gorgeous vintage cars that are there along with some newer cars like us the people of Middleburg are absolutely amazing. Like I am now a fan of Middleburg, Virginia. We stayed at this resort called the Salamander, which is very fancy. Um, and we've stayed there. There's actually been some drive programs. I remember I did a Volkswagen drive program there out of there years ago. Um, but the people in the town so embrace the fact that they host this rally. The day that you're leaving, the very first day for the race, half the little kids aren't in, like they're all lined up with little Mele Melia flags and they wave their little flags and they all cheer as you start off. They have a little um, one day where you sort of all go into town and you display all your cars. They close off a little section of a side street and it's like the sort of like block party. It is it is such a nice event like because you're competing, but I have never been in an event where the people from the people running the event to the people racing in the event are also very much like, I want to beat you, but do a good job. You know what I mean? <laughs> it's, it's such a nice group of people. There are a lot of folks that were there last year um, competing that we saw again this year and the staff actually comes from Italy. So these are the people who actually run this race in Italy. When you do the fancy one in Italy, um, they actually come to the U S so you're getting a very genuine experience right down to the language barrier at times um, while you're trying to, to learn how to do it. So this is the second year we've done it. Um, I was very happy with how we did because I felt like we did better. I felt like we we honed our skills. And there's always the competition year to year. You can be great if your competition is better at than you are, they're gonna win. I But I was just really excited that we actually got better scoring than we did last year. Honed our skills and absolutely loved it. It's, it's such a fun event to attend. So big fan and it was super fun to drive the Tenale in it last year. We drove a Stelvio and we had the same, that Montreal Verde. 
is their color, which is this metallic green. That's absolutely stunning. We're like, well, can we get that same color this year? Because everyone really <laughs> liked it. So they gave us that one again. So super fun time, really appreciative of Alpha for uh, giving us that car to do it and for sponsoring us to enter the rally. Um, so highly recommend it if you've ever wanted to try sort of like a precision driving event. Um, it's really high end, really well run and just exciting and fun. Try that. The one of the Mele Melia warm ups and the one in Virginia is fabulous. Excellent. Um, yeah, I was, I was just looking up. Uh, I think it's Redestein. Redestein. I can never say it right. They yeah. Redestein. Yes. Um, so. And uh, one of the things they you know they they make tires for a variety you know for modern vehicles, but they mm -hmm. also do tires for agricultural and industrial vehicles, uh, tractor tires, things like that. But one of the things they do is they they make a line of classic car tires. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, because a lot of you know most older cars, classic cars, finding tires for it's those hard. vehicles is yeah. can be really hard because you know, they, you know, they weren't running on, you know, 18, 19, 22, 24 inch wheels. You know, they were, they were running on, you know, 13, 14, 15 inch wheels at most. Right. And they were a lot skinnier and a lot oh, higher profile. So, you know, it's funny. So we're, you know, when we're staged all in line and we're driving with these cars and like we're in our little modern Alfa Romeo Tonali, which is a compact crossover with big beefy tires and big beefy fenders. And when you pull up as we're sort of staged, you're next to some of these vintage cars. They're so low. Like, I feel like I'm looking at, you know, feels I might as well be like in a tractor trailer for how low they are outside mm -hmm. my window. And when you see their tires next to the tires, like, oh, my gosh, do those actually count as tires? They're so skinny. They're so very, very skinny. So finding those specialized tires that's where a company like I can't say the name of comes in. Redestein. Yeah, uh, yeah. They, <laughs> they have they have sizes for their their Sprint Classic tire. You know, down to uh, like one thirty five um, width, one thirty five millimeter width, which is a really skinny tire. Really 14, skinny tire. 14 inch rims. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and a whole bunch of sizes. So if you're, I'll, I'll put a link to this in the uh, in yeah, the show if notes. You're, you know, if you're if a vintage you, tire guy. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and uh, the, this is this is a company you might want to take a look at for uh, it's for really, some vintage and the, car They tires. had the guys that they had. They had a couple dry guys driving um, a Porsche that was part of the mo more modern cars, and then driving a Volvo. Um, really great guys. They're for you know, in these two teams, they were really fun. Uh, thoroughly enjoyed the people for, and the company. They had a rep from the company who was super fun, and the smack talk was fabulous. <laughs> I always appreciate someone who has a a good sense of humor and sportsmanship when you're in something like this, and you have a little fun with it. Uh, but a really a, a great, great group of great group of guys that they picked to to drive their cars. And I'm really happy they won because you you like to see people that you you know you always want the best person to win, yada yada. But mm -hmm. when the person that wins is someone you're like, yeah, I actually like that guy. <laughs> it makes it even easier. <laughs> Fabulous. Um, all right. Well, from uh, from Test Fest, I went to uh, Polestar Day. Uh, went from one coast to the other, um, and um, on Thursday, uh, Polestar had. Uh, an event for investors and um, friends of the company and and media um, at uh, the Barker Hangar in Santa Monica, and you know they announced a bunch of stuff. Um, they also had the first ride-alongs in their next two new products, um, but they they had um, they had all of their currently announced products on display there. So. You know, right now there's the Polestar 2, uh, which has been with us for a couple of years, and they just did a major update for for 24 model year. Went from front wheel drive to rear wheel drive on the single motor, um, and got a little more battery capacity, I think. Um, 
but the the next the next two vehicles coming are the Polestar 3 and can you guess what the one after that is? Polestar 52? No. Oh. It's uh, not quite. It's the oh. Polestar 4. Oh, um, I should have gotten we, we were we were having some discussions <laughs> among the group about their their naming their model naming strategy uh because there's there's no you know it's basically just you know sequential order as the vehicles come to market there's no there's no meaning to any of the numbers other than when they arrived and yeah you know, i mean can you imagine 10 years from now you know polestar 15 or 20 or yeah something? What, like when do you st- it's like people say that with the iphone too at what point do we stop putting numbers after that yeah so the the polestar three and four are both crossovers um mm-hmm. quite different very similar in size but quite different from each other and then the five which is coming in 2025 um is um a, a four-door fastback sedan um, you know, kind of very similar in overall shape to something like the Audi A7. Uh, and then the six is the Roadster that they showed originally as a concept a, a year or two ago. Uh, I think it's the O2 uh, concept. Uh, and that's that the production version of that is coming in 2026. And it looks fantastic. Um, but uh, the, uh, the, the Polestar 3 um, is based on the same platform as the um, the upcoming Volvo EX90, and it's going to be built in South Carolina um, at the Volvo factory there. Uh, so Polestar, the the brand, the company, the the brand actually dates back to the 1990s. They started off as a race racing company, building race versions of Volvos mm-hmm. that they ran in various touring car and rally series in the in the 1990s. And then they started working directly with Volvo to create. Polestar versions, uh, high-performance Polestar versions of various Volvo models, and then eventually got acquired by Volvo. And then at that time, Volvo was owned by Ford. Uh, Ford sold Volvo to Geely Group in China. Um, And then a few years ago, they decided to make Polestar a separate automotive brand that would be kind of slightly above Volvo. It was going to be electric only. Um, and slightly above Volvo in the lineup, you know, so mm-hmm. Volvo, you know, is kind of the more mainstream luxury brand, uh, you know, competing with the likes of Audi and BMW. And then Polestar is just slightly above more sporty, you know, kind of going with their original heritage of building race cars, uh, a little, a little more sporting, a little more premium than, uh, than the comparable, uh, Volvo models. So the the Polestar three, uh, where the Volvo XC90 is a or EX90 is a, a three big three row SUV. The the three is slightly shorter, two row, five passenger, um, and a little more sporty looking, but more luxurious than the Polestar four. Um, and it's going to have a the three is going to have a starting price of around eighty four thousand mm-hmm. dollars. The Polestar four is almost the same overall length and width but it's lower it's meant to be a sportier alternative and also a little more affordable and it's going to have a starting price of somewhere around sixty thousand dollars they they haven't announced final pricing yet but it'd be somewhere around sixty thousand starting price and the four is initially going to be built at a geely factory in china Uh, but they announced on thursday that they're also going to add production uh, at a plant in Korea, uh, which is part of Renault Kia Motors, 
which are Renault Korea Motors, I should say. I was like, wait, what? (laughs) Renault Korea Motors, um, which uh, of which Geely is a minority shareholder in that. So they're going to build the four there for North America and for some other export markets. Um, But we're going to get both of these, the three and the four, uh, on the market here in the U.S. during 2024. Um, both going to offer up to around 300 miles of range, um, you know, around 500 horsepower. Uh, so they'd be quite quick, quite powerful. We got a chance to go. We didn't get a chance to drive them, but we got a chance to ride along in them in okay. both of them, uh, for, uh, about a 15 minute drive in each okay. one. A nice little taste. Yeah. And you know, the three, uh, really nice, uh, really like sitting in that one. Um, and, and riding along in that one, um, ride quality is a little on the firm side, but that's fairly typical of Polestar, you know, a little, Mm -hmm. little more firm, you know, whereas Volvo is a little softer tends to be. Um, and then the, the four, um, the four is kind of interesting because it's more of a, you know, what they call a, you know, a SUV coupe, you know, kind of fastback design. And because the, the angle of the rear is so, um, so steep, almost horizontal. They opted not to put a rear window on this one because well, you've, you've, you've driven the C40. Yeah. Yeah. The Volvo C40 yes. and that one, you know, it's the same thing. It's, you know, it's a coupe version of the XC40 Yeah. and the, the rear window in that thing is just like a little slot that you really almost can't so see really anything useful. Any, yeah. It's it. like a rear window. Cause you're supposed to have one kind of right. Thing. Yeah. In the case of the, the Polestar 4, they said, you know what? That rear window is useless. Screw it. Let's just make that solid. So we don't have to have a rear window? That's not a law? No, it's not, it's not required. I didn't I didn't know that until it, I was I mean, like, really? Okay. Yeah. I mean, you know, if you think about, you know, a lot of delivery vans, box vans, things like that, you know, you go rent a U-Haul. There's no rear window in those. Uh, That's true. That's and, true. And, and, you know, there's also no requirement for an interior optical mirror. You just have to have them side mirrors. Do you have to have side you have, mirrors? You have to have you? the side mirrors. You don't have okay. to have the interior mirror. But what they're doing is they're doing the camera mirror system, uh, like a lot of cars offer now. Um, and so you know you'll have you'll actually have a better view than if you had a window because the you know the window would just be this little slot at most. Uh, so uh, what that allowed them to do by not having the rear glass, they they, they move the rear structure back a little bit. Um, so if you're sitting in the rear seat. You actually have a lot of rear headroom uh, in the rear seat, and the rear seat sits up a little higher than the front seats. You know, kind of the stadium seating thing. So the the seating position in the rear is is very comfortable. My complaint, though, is because the the roof line is a little bit lower than on the Polestar three. Um, the belt line is also very high. So I have the same mm. complaint that I have in the Polestar two, where you feel like you're sitting down in a tub, even in the back seat. Um, you know, and in the yeah. front seat, you know, I sat in the front seat. And, you know, the belt line was at my shoulder height and I'm, I, you know, I have a long torso, you know, and I still felt like I was sitting very low in this thing. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to have to spend more time with this thing. Um, But, uh, you know, overall, I mean, it's a good looking vehicle, you know, um, you know, very nice interior. Um, Although the, the ones we were in were, were still prototypes. So they weren't, you know, the fit and finish was not to be judged, but, you know, we expect, you know, it'll be up there, you know, with what you expect of a, right. a premium vehicle. Um, so the, the Polestar three and four coming next year, the year after we get the Polestar five, uh, and then the, uh, the convertible, the roadster, the six, uh, the year after that. Um, and 
they announced various uh, technology things. One of the things they had uh, the team from a com- an Israeli startup called Storedot Batteries, um, who are doing something really interesting with batteries. Their their idea was to try to develop a battery that you can charge really really fast, um, and therefore if you can have and and their target was to be able to add a hundred miles of range in five minutes. Wow. Which, you know, they claim they can do. Um, and, you know, they said, you know, if you can charge that fast, then you don't necessarily need to have, you know, as enormous a range. So you can go with a smaller, lighter battery that's more affordable, uh, makes the car more efficient, handle better, everything. Um, you know, of course, doing that means you actually have to have charging infrastructure that can charge very fast and is reliable and is everywhere. Um, and hopefully we'll get there eventually. Um, but uh, they're, they're di- what's different about their battery is most EV batteries, the the anode uh, side of the battery. So you got a cathode and an anode. Uh, the anode side is usually coated with graphite. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the lithium ions, when you charge the battery, the lithium ions go from the cathode through the electrolyte over to the anode side and they get stored in the, in the graphite. And then when you discharge, it goes back the other way and the electrons go through the through the motor. Um, instead, of most battery developers have been working on trying to use silicon instead of graphite. The problem with silicon is when you charge it, it swells up because it can act, it, it increases the capacity because you can it can absorb more lithium ions but then it swells so the whole the whole cell swells up and and then shrinks back down again when you discharge it which is a problem and yeah. so so what these guys came up with was a way to, and so there's a lot of uh, battery EV batteries already use silicon but they they usually limit it to about 10% and 90% graphite to limit the amount of swelling these guys have come up with something that is using no graphite, just the silicon. And silicon is, you know, sand, basically. Right. So it's pretty readily available. What they did was they came up with this um, composite material that's sort of spongy that okay. they store the silicon in this spongy material. So what, what happens is um, as, as it absorbs the lithium ions and it starts to swell up, Think about, imagine the, the silicon embedded like in a sponge itself, and then it's contained, you know, contain that within a box. Um, and so as the silicon absorbs the lithium ions and, and it all expands, instead of expanding the whole thing, it's just displacing this spongy composite structure around it. So, so the okay. whole battery, the whole cell doesn't sw- doesn't swell it's up. Just, the stuff just within okay. that space, it takes up. It, yeah, it yeah. gives it. It has some compliance in that area of the anode, and so it, it's a pretty cool concept. They were demonstrating it. They were doing full charges and discharges. They said you can charge this thing at you know 450 kilowatts, all the way up to 80 percent state of charge. You know, and most most EVs, you know, once you get past about 40 or 50 percent, they start ramping down the charge rate. They say you can charge this all the way up to 80 percent at 450 kilowatts without having any degradation of the battery. So we'll see if they can actually make this all work. And okay. they're, I mean, they're going to be in uh, they're They're making they're now starting to make larger format cells that they're going to test next year in prototype Polestar 5s. So they'll have this on the road in the Polestar 5 prototypes next year. And then maybe somewhere around 27 or so, you know, they're hoping to get it into full production. 
That's kind of interesting. That'd be yeah. amazing if they could do that. They could sort of change the game a little bit for how people look at EV technology. If you could do, I mean, the thing is, the thing is faster. We were just talking about this the other day. My husband is like, it just, you just don't want to have to think about it as much as you have to think about it right now. Yeah. You don't have to think about, you know, it's not just road trips, just around town. Even you're like, well, do I have enough? If I'm driving around, you know, if you're on a, a longer adventure in a day, that makes a difference. But if you knew it's like five minutes, boom. Yeah. That's, that's, yeah, if you can pop in gas. for five that's minutes and get 100 gas. miles of range. Yeah. yeah then, that's like pumping gas. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So hopefully by the time these come to full production, you know, we'll have better charging infrastructure and we can actually support this. Um, we'll see. That would be amazing. Uh, that would be very cool. So speaking of Volvo. Yeah. You drove an electric Volvo too. I did. <clears throat> of course, as you asked me that I have to cough. <laughs> yes, I did drive an electric Volvo. So uh, this is an all new Volvo, the Volvo EX30, which is the um, it's a it's a I was gonna say plug in hybrid because I'm on the wrong thing in my head. My head's on the wrong thing still. Um, it's an electric vehicle um, and it's new and it's the first it's this is the smallest I think this is the smallest SUV that Volvo has ever done. Um mm-hmm. And they did a first drive for it. It's it's sort of been, it was supposed to sort of be here already. And I think there's been a little bit delays and stuff. It's coming. You have not driven this at all yet, have you, Sam? No, I'll be driving one um, this week on, on Wednesday. Um, I'll get to spend about an hour, hour and a half with one. Okay. So I we went, they actually took us out to, because I think they were basically trying to get knack toy jurors behind the wheel of this. They took us out to uh, Spain to drive this. Um, and we had a good amount of time. They actually gave us more time than normal. I think they really wanted to make sure that we felt like we had enough time driving this. So we got a good couple of days driving this vehicle. So the EX30 is the smallest SUV that Volvo has ever built. So it's smaller. I think crossover. It really is crossover size. This isn't huge. Um, and it's a big deal for them because they're trying to get a vehicle that is checks a bunch of boxes, that it's more affordable, that it's smaller, so it's a little bit more city-friendly that it's an EV and they're putting a really big focus on this one and that they want it to be, and they've been doing this for a while, gradually in their vehicles, they're trying to really focus on sustainability. And they say a lot of that is because their customers are very focused on sustainability. They increasingly people are looking at a vehicle and saying, I don't necessarily want, <coughs> excuse me, leather seats. I want something that maybe gives me the, the comfort and the look and the texture and the feel and the versatility and the durability of that, but can we make it something that's more friendly? And do we need to use materials in our cars that are going to be difficult to recycle or that require, you know, the the manufacturing processes require making new things as opposed to using recycled things. So there's a lot of really cool recycled materials in this. Um, And they actually call them rooms. That's what they call their threes. They have three rooms. There was breeze, indigo, mist, and pine. Uh, So each has its own sort of... Is the whole car like just a giant... um... Where's it? Oh, I can't even think of the what? name of those things. Those, those air freshener, I, like giant it, air freshener, giant air freshener. It's all they did. It's just steel plastic in an air freshener. No. Um, so they tried to sort of create a vibe within each one. In fact, there's, but they use materials that are really kind of cool. So one of the things I loved on the dashboard, they have this thing. It's made from woven flax from the linseed plant. So they've, but it, you look at it, it kind of has like a sort of, it has like a really rough sort of burlapy look to it, but it has the texture too. You feel it, but they've covered it and sealed it again so that it's durable. So it's going to stand up to the atmospheric stuff around you, the dirt, the grime, the occasional bits of rain and snow that end up in your car when you open your door. So they've used that and it has a really neat texture, but it looks 
really cool. They also have in there some of the products. It's the waste product for making blue jeans. So you make blue jeans. We have waste products. Some people recycle that, but then there's these little teeny tiny fibers. Almost looks like the lint from your dryer. They have managed to take that and they have used that. Um, they've used like recycled plastic bottles and all these really recycled things that give neat, really interesting looking interiors that don't even remotely look recycled. The only one that we didn't, I didn't, wasn't super keen on. They have one pattern on the dashboard and I forget which one it's for, but what it looks like, it's a speckled pattern. And all I could think of was linoleum from the floor, like when you were in grade school, because it has this sort of speckly kind of thing. Mm -hmm. Some people absolutely loved it, but they, they really tried to make the interior of this car very, it's very unique and very attractive without using, again, it's still Volvo-y. There's nothing garish. There's nothing outlandish, but it is very, very sustainable. The amount of sustainable materials they use to create it and even the manufacturing process and how they're shipping it because they really put a big focus on that. So that's kind of neat. And it works with the idea of it being an electric vehicle sort of fits with Volvo's overall aesthetic. Um, driving it, we did a lot of city driving and a lot of twisty, turny little um, European roads in Spain and it handles really nicely. Um, there's I'm sorry, I have the worst frog in my throat all of a sudden because you asked me to talk. It's like my turn now, <laughs> Sam. So um, they have, um, it's available, all-wheel drive is optional. So you get, I like driving the all-wheel drive better. It's a little bit, um, it's a little bit more responsive. It handles a little better. You do feel the handling is better when you're taking the twisties. You definitely feel it. And if you've driven on just twisty turnies, say mountain country roads anywhere, when you're on those tiny little twisting roads, having a car, even a small car, even a small crossover, having handling that doesn't force you to fight of, uh, you know, around every turn makes a big difference. It really handles really nicely. Um, they do a thing, everyone's saying they've tesla it. I don't know. I guess you could say they've tesla it. There's no instrument cluster. Instead, you have a 12.3 inch um, like tablet mounted screen on the center of the dashboard. Um, and that's where your instrument cluster is. There's not a head up display. So you just have that. But they put all of the information, like if you think if almost like at the very top, I don't know, inch and a half, maybe two inches of the screen, that's where you have, you know, your speed limit. That's where you have your speed and your your instrument cluster information is right up there. Um, people were sort of aggressively freaked out about this online. How am I supposed to say it should be right there on my line of sight? It's terrible. It's horrible. But the reality of it is, is like, think for a second is you, you're staring at the road and to look at instrument clusters of the low, you are completely taking your eyes off the road and shifting your eyes all the way down to an instrument cluster. So for that, whatever, half a second, your eyes shift off the road. This way there, technically you're just doing a peripheral shift to your right to check it. So theoretically your eyes are more in line with the road. You're just doing that left, right shift. So it's not something where it's like, you never have to take your eyes off the road. You do with an instrument cluster that's traditional. You look down here, you're just looking right. So I don't, I'm not as freaked out by this, but people really felt this was something that online people were losing their mind over. Sam, do you have an opinion on this? I'm really curious. I, I don't like having uh, that, all, that driving information over on the side. You don't? Um, no, I prefer to have it in front of me. You know, even though, I mean, you know, either way, you're taking your eyes away from the road. Right. Um, and, you know, I'd rather, you know, glance down momentarily then glance down and over uh you don't have to dance down it's high enough because it's at the top part of the screen yeah. you're really kind of just glancing right like okay. it's not like you're down you're not looking like don't think down to like the radio you know yeah you're, well i haven't sat in the ex 30 yet so you know <clears throat> yeah, because, I'll, because I'll reserve judgment until um, i yeah so it. it's so they put it the screen is not low the screen is mm -hmm. a little bit higher so when they're putting that information in the top part of that screen 
you really are just doing a left right shift, not a down and right. It's just a left right shift. So I'll be curious when you drive it, yeah. Sam, to th- see what well, you think. For for what it's worth, I mean, in the previous <laughs> generations of the Toyota Prius, you know, they also mm-hmm. had you know this narrow strip along the top center of the dash. You know, it wasn't on a screen, but they, you know, they they, they had the all the the gauges in that area in the center of the dash. Mm-hmm. You know, similar to what what they're what uh, Pol- or what Volvo is doing here. And I never particularly liked that layout either. I, but, you know, I, I have not liked the few cars I've driven that have all that in, stuffed into the infotainment screen. And I went into this, sat down, and was like, mm, I'm not going to like this. It literally was my first thought. Like, I'm mm-hmm. going to like this. I'm not going to like this particular setup. Do you know, within very short order, I sort of forgot it was even set up that way. Just how they have it angled very quickly. I was like, oh, it's right there. I, I So I don't know. I guess kudos to them, whatever designing they did, whatever engineering they did, I very quickly got used to just looking slightly to the right and didn't feel like I had to, it wasn't like, oh, I'm looking the wrong way, I have to look right, I'm taking my eyes off the road in a weird way. So it became very natural very quickly. So I'd be very curious when you drive this. I'll have to, well, you have to tell us next week, Sam, what you think. Um, In terms of range, the range is really good. So there's rear wheel or all wheel drive. Sometimes there's a pretty big <clears throat> change from rear wheel to all wheel. 265 miles with rear wheel, 207 uh, with with all wheel. Um, sorry, 65 for the all wheel, 75 for the rear wheel. So you're only losing 10 miles of range. <clears throat> oh my That's gosh. not too bad. Um, yeah, when you go to all wheel drive, so it's a very minimal sacrifice. So it makes you, if you're thinking like I'm going to lose all this range because I need all wheel drive, you only lose roughly 10 miles of range, which is kind of impressive. I thought that was pretty good. I'm I'm curious the um the rear seat you know because this this car is uh, like eight inches shorter mm-hmm. than the XC40, but the XC40 was not it was not designed as an EV it was adapted into an EV, um you know it was designed as a gas engine vehicle right the EX30 is designed from the ground up as an EV it's EV only right um how does the 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 rear seat room compare? against the XC40 or you know, just in general, how, just how does in it feel? General, yeah. So, I mean, this is a compact crossover, so you're not mm-hmm. going to be like wanting to ride in the back of this. If you're the height of like Robbie, for example, yeah. for hours and hours on end, but it does have decent room. I felt like the headroom was pretty good. Like you'd be okay if you're a bit taller, but depending on how tall the person, in the front seat is your rear seat, your leg room is going to be where the issue is. I mean, Plenty room enough, headroom, shoulder room, that's fine for two people. Three, not going to happen. It's like really two people back there. But depending on how you have the front seat suggested, it could be. But it's it's not it's not one of those like um, like like something like an M2 where it's like, who are you kidding? No one's sitting in the yeah. back of this coupe. You can definitely sit back there, but it's not huge. It's, it's a smaller space. I feel like it's really better for short stints for people mm-hmm. in the back seat. But it is still a comfortable back seat. Like I sat back there for a little bit, was, you know, like I'm just going to sit here and see what this is like. I had the seat suggested for me at five, six in front of me, the driver's seat, sitting behind myself. I'm like, okay, I could be okay back here. But again, that's a five, six person and a five, six person. If you put someone who is six, three back there in the front or the back, that's going to change it. But I did feel like it was roomier. It was more comfortable and roomier on the inside than I thought looking at it from the outside. At the outside, I thought this is going to be really tight. It wasn't actually as tight as I thought it would be. One of the uh, the big bits of news when they announced the EX30 was that it was going to start at around $35,000, which so, for yeah. a Volvo is really right. affordable. And so it does. It starts, uh, it starts at just under $35,000, $35, 
it goes up to about it's like 41 ish i think is for the higher trims so you're looking at 35 now you got to figure you know we just i just mentioned earlier in the podcast you're probably not going to buy that base trim you can you're probably not buying that one so realistically you're probably going to be spending like 38 forty thousand dollars on this depending on how you want it equipped but you know that's still this is a volvo it's an ev it's beautiful inside it's comfortable it has a solid range it has great features that's not a bad price Mm -hmm. it's really not a bad price um and it charges relatively quickly they can do the dc fast charging so that 10 to 80 percent about 26 minutes so not not as fast as what you can you know but like 26 minutes to get 10 to 80 percent that's not bad so i I, I overall I like this. I think that it's um, I, and it's it, you're asking about room. There's 14.1 cubic feet behind the rear seats, so it's like almost like an average trunk, mm-hmm. like a sedan trunk size. Um, 31.9 if you fold them down, so you get a you get a pretty decent amount of space. But like, keep in mind, this is not intended to be a giant SUV for families. This is the smallest crossover slash SUV that Volvo makes. It has. You know, it's an EV. It has a low price. It has an attractive interior. It's designed to be a more affordable choice and a smaller choice for those who don't want a great big vehicle, but still want to have something, you know, still want to have an EV, still want to have something that's attractive that has its own sort of like, it's weird. I wouldn't call this luxurious. Like when you think about the other Volvos, like the S, what did I just drive? The V60 cross country. That's a little bit more, that's a more luxurious vehicle. It's also more expensive, you know? That feels a little more traditional. This one, it feels like what they're doing with EVs. Like I think of like, like the EV6. It looks a little bit different. It feels a little different. The Ionic Five, those vehicles, they have a certain like. This is new. This is new. New styling. The 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 way the way cars are going, not the way cars were. Mm-hmm. And I I think that's a good thing. I think you have to move forward. And if you just stay where you are, at some point you're the brand that goes. Oh, that's what my grandfather drives. You know, and to avoid that, you have to continue to change your design, change how your vehicle looks, stay current with all the technology and the features and the performance. But if it doesn't look right, suddenly that 25 year old is like, I don't want to buy that. That's an old person's car. You have to still make it look and feel like a modern contemporary thing. And I think that's exactly what the EX30 does. Okay. Well, I'm looking forward to checking it out uh, later this week. Um, and, you know, size wise, I'm just looking at some dimensions. Yeah. You know, it's, it's about eight, eight inches shorter than the XC40, mm-hmm. uh, but it's four inches longer than a Chevy Bolt uh, and three inches uh, shorter than the Bolt EUV. So mm-hmm. it kind of slots in between there. So probably kind of similar overall interior volume uh, mm-hmm. with, you know, with that, uh, with uh, the, the Bolt, which, you know, for a small car, the Bolt is surprisingly roomy. Right. Um, so I'll, 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 we'll talk more about it next week. Yeah, um, it'd be interesting to see what to you it. think. And I'm really curious to think what you think about that, having to shift to the right for yeah. the infotainment screen there. Okay. For the instrument cluster. All right. Um, let's see. Uh, la- I think the last thing uh, we have for this week is uh, don't bedazzle your steering wheel. <laughs> I saw this on, I'm like, what now? I saw this on the show notes. <laughs> yeah. I guess, you know, some people out there have decided, you know, they're, they don't just want to see the plain old um, logo of their, uh, the brand of vehicle they bought in the middle of their steering wheel. Um, and so they're, they're decorating them with assorted stuff. Uh, but something to consider before you do this. And, you know, the national highway traffic traffic safety administration put out a warning, you know, recommending that you don't add anything to your steering wheel. 
Um, because you know, steering wheels for the last 30 plus years, um, yeah, you know, they, right. they, um, they, they also contain an explosive device called an airbag. Mm-hmm. And one thing you don't want if that, uh, if that igniter decides to go off is you don't want little bits of sparkly stuff, um, shooting in your face. <laughs> if, if something happens and your airbag has to deploy. It's, so. it's, it's ridiculous to me. Like I get that, you know, when you have the nice little fuzzy steering wheel cover, cause you want a fuzzy steering wheel cover just for the wheel part. But when you're putting things in that center part where the airbag, yeah. like guys, there's an airbag, like the whole recall was because shrapnel was shooting at people's faces. Yeah. The Takata airbag deploy, recall. Right? The Takata yeah. airbag recall. Now you're putting shrapnel <laughs> into it. If you're decorating that, don't do that. Don't do that. It's right up there with me with don't put your feet on the dashboard when you're on the passenger side of a vehicle. Yes. Don't do that either. That also has an airbag. Think about what's going to happen when that airbag goes off if your feet are on that dashboard. So no no bedazzling your steering wheel, no feet on your dashboard. At least, according to NHTSA, at least one driver in the U.S. so far has lost the use of an eye as a result oh of God. rhinestones flying at their face Can you when imagine, the airbag went though, off. Like with the force of the airbag, the rhinestone goes flying out. No. That's, yeah. that's just people. just don't do it it's not don't worth do it that. don't do if you, this if you want to stick it somewhere else on your dash fine you right. know but, put it but don't put it on the airbag where something's not exploding at your face if there's yes. an accident uh all right we have one question this week um from uh greg from arizona uh it says curious on how the liability would be handled if an autonomous car is put into a position where a quick stop is not an option and will hit something or someone due to a driver in another car f- failing to abide by law. Uh, example, run run a red light. Uh, let's say there are three different options. Hit a light post, hit the other car, or hit a pedestrian. How is it? How is that decided? And would the auto manufacturer uh, driving service be liable if it chose to hit and kill the pedestrian? One could argue that uh, if there was no passengers in the autonomous vehicle, they could be sued for killing someone instead of hitting the light post and reducing the risk of injury or death. Uh, I look forward to hearing your thoughts. So, um, yeah, I mean, the, the first, the first, that first scenario, if there's no one in the vehicle, then, you know, I mean, uh, when the, the vehicle is always going to try to stop first, you know, and hit the brakes as hard as it can and try to stop. But if it has to make an evasive maneuver, you know, it's going to evaluate whether there's anyone in the vehicle. And this is one of the things, mm-hmm. you know, all, you know, all the robo taxis and stuff out there have cabin monitoring to know if there's anyone in the vehicle, what seating positions they're in, um, you know, whether they're buckled up and it'll, it'll make, you know, it'll take that into account in, or at least it should take that into account in making its decision. And so if there's no one in the vehicle, yeah, hit the, hit the light post. Uh, that's it. That's an easy one. Mm-hmm. Um, if it's, hit the other car or hit a pedestrian again it gets it starts to get tougher um you know hitting the other car will probably mean less likelihood of you know a pedestrian you know of of a person getting injured or killed mm-hmm. you know if someone is in the other vehicle they're 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 probably going to be safer than if they were standing in the they're road just standing and on you the hit sidewalk the, and get popped and, yeah you know we 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 saw what happened with a cruise car in San Francisco uh, mm-hmm. a few weeks ago. Uh, and now Cruz has been, you know, they, their California driverless permit was suspended and they've shut down all driverless operations nationwide and in, in the 10 cities that they were testing in. Um, and so, uh, you know, 
the, in that case, there was no option. You know, the, in the scenario that they were in, um, you know, a pedestrian was hit by another vehicle that was driven by a human, you know, and that that driver took off. Um, and I don't think has been apprehended yet. Wow. Um, you know, but the pedestrian was struck in the intersection and thrown over the hood of of the other car into the path of the cruise vehicle. The cruise vehicle ran over it, uh, ran over the pedestrian, um, further injuring them. Uh, but then apparently um, it was programmed uh, in in that scenario to move, you know, to move into what's known as a minimum risk condition. So try to get out of the path of traffic. Mm-hmm. Unfortunately, because that pedestrian was underneath the car, that meant that pedestrian was dragged about 20 feet and further injuring them. If the cruise vehicle had just stopped where it was, it probably would have been better and not, not good, obviously, because they were trapped under the vehicle, but it would have been a better situation than dragging them another 20 feet. Um, you know, so in, in these kinds of scenarios, you know, if you think about if you're a human driver and you did that, you know, the first of all, the primary liability would be with the the human driver that hit the pedestrian initially. Mm-hmm. You know, if they were thrown into the path of your car and there was no way you could stop, you might have some liability in that case. But, you know, if you stopped, you know, and didn't continue to drag the pedestrian, you it probably would not be liable in that case because it was unavoidable. Right. In your in your case. Um, although the, you know, again, I'm not yeah, a lawyer. Law, yeah, I was going to say the so, law is so tricky, but it would seem like I would tend to agree yeah, with you. And, and it probably depends to some degree on where you are, what the local and state regular laws are. Um, but you know, if if you if the autonomous vehicle was the one that hit the pedestrian initially, then you know, they would definitely be liable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if the autonomous vehicle was hit by another vehicle running a red light, you know, that vehicle would, uh, would be the one that's liable. So, yeah, I mean, lawyers and police, uh, you know, are used to, you know, examining these kinds of situations and assigning responsibility, uh, mm-hmm. based on what happened. And, you know, every case is going to be different, you know, they would have to examine it, but, you know, if, uh, you know, any situation where the human driver would be liable, the vehicle or its manufacturer is going to want going to be the one with the liability in that yeah. case. I would agree. Um, yeah, where where things get complicated is with driver assist features. So something like um, you know Tesla's autopilot or their full self driving, which is not, I remind you, is not full self driving. It, it is still a driver assist feature. The driver. They they tell you in the instructions the driver is uh, you know, is liable. Uh, you know you're you're responsible for having hands on the wheel and eyes on the road, and being in full control of the vehicle at all times. Um, you know there have already been a couple of cases um, where, uh, in fact, there was a case just a couple of weeks ago that was decided where Tesla was sued uh, for um, you know product defect uh, where a car crashed when it was an autopilot. And the jury decided um, that no, Tesla was not responsible. The driver was responsible. So, you know, for anything other than, you know, a full-on robo-taxi or full-on, you know, autonomous vehicle, you are, as a human being, you are ultimately liable for that system. 
And it literally, I think there's, I don't think there's a single automaker out there who doesn't, if you look at the information they put out both for us as journalists and for the public, when you look at the details of every single driver assist system is very clear and even tells you a lot of the time on your infotainment screen as you start up a car, you are responsible at all times for the vehicle. The assist systems are just assist you. In the end, it is you, no matter what the car does in the end, it is you. So yeah, it requires, no matter how much you think it's doing the job itself, everything still requires a driver be there for a reason at this point. Yep. Uh, the only, the only system that uh, at least in Europe is actually uh, where the manufacturer takes responsibility is Mercedes-Benz drive pilot. That's true. Um, their, their level three system. And only while it's in drive pilot mode. So if an, if a crash happens, then, then Mercedes has said they'll take responsibility. However, where they just launched that system here in the U.S., they made it available in California and Nevada. Mercedes has not said whether the driver is responsible or whether they or the driver are liable. I wonder if that all has to do with the laws. In the, it has to with the laws yeah. in the different countries. So, yeah. Um, other manufacturers like Volvo have said that when they do introduce systems like that, they will accept, they will take liability. They will be responsible for the system while the system is active. You know, if the system has deactivated and handed back control to the driver, then of course you're responsible at that time. So yeah. hope that uh, answers your question, Greg. Um, and uh, keep, keep the questions coming in everybody to uh, feedback at wheelbearings.media or you can drop them in the discord or, uh, and get lots of good conversations going on in there. Um, don't forget, you can get uh, your wheel bearing swag at shop.wheelbearings.media. We got uh, several different uh, shirt designs now that you can get as t-shirts or sweatshirts or hoodies. Um, you can also get them on phone cases uh, if you like that. Um, and uh, we appreciate uh, those that are just got uh, a, uh, some, uh, the, uh, who's it? Uh, Leith, I think, uh, in Australia, who did the design, who who had Dolly do the design of the uh, Roadster hauling mulch. Um, he just got his <laughs> shirt and posted a picture of it in uh, in the Discord the other day. So I uh, hope you're enjoying your shirt. Um, and uh, I know I'm I'm enjoying mine. Uh, so don't forget to uh, to get your stuff. Um, and uh, uh, hope you all uh, keep listening. And uh, to all our patrons that are supporting us through Patreon. Thank you very much. We really appreciate your support. Thank you. Bye, guys. Bye. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off. My rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durban Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.